Welcome to the awesome pod mix. You are listening to Abby. The idea behind this podcast was to talk about how certain movies and TV shows made me feel when I watched them for the very first time. A reputed filmmaker once said, "When a piece of art invokes a similar feeling amidst a large audience, it's the triumph of the filmmaker. That's the magic of cinema. I love the magic of cinema." Today, I'll be talking about the third episode of Marvel Studios' Moon Knight. Whether Marvel creates movies or TV shows, they are all cinematic. This episode's title is "The Friendly Type," written by Bodemeo and Peter Cameron and Sabir Pirzada, and directed by Mohammed Diab. I wonder who is referred to as the friendly type in the title. Before the new episode begins, we see the previously on section. It underlines that the guy drinking at the end of the second episode is Mark. The guy we saw in the Alps was Steven. This episode begins with Layla against a white backdrop as the camera tries to bring her face to focus. We realize she is being photographed by an old lady named Lagaro as per the subtitles. But in the credits they have just mentioned Forger instead of using her character name. Layla discusses her encounter with Mark. She reveals how she found him 20 minutes away from their first home. She is worried about Mark being by himself in Cairo. Lagaro the forger lady prepares Layla's fake passport where the name reads Layla Abdullah Fakuli, an antiquities dealer. The date of issue on this fake passport is 29th May 2019. This makes me think that even Mark Spector's passport and the date of issue on the passport being 14 December 2018 may be fake. Lagaro offers Layla a canister and upon closer look I think they are marshmallows. We learn that Layla deals with stolen antiquities and takes them off the black market. You know who else owns stolen art in the MCU? The power broker Sharon Carter. Layla's father used to call Layla his little scarab and he used to take her along to his dig sites when she was a child. The Marvel Studios title sequence begins over the music of Batman's beak. We see the shot of the desert and a caravan of people walking with their equipment until we see the scarab levitating over Arthur's palm. The scarab points in a specific direction. Arthur and his crew walk in the same direction. Arthur declares that they've found Ahmed's tomb. Everyone rejoices. It is short-lived as Bobby informs Arthur that Mark Spector is in Cairo and he's tracking them. Arthur doesn't let this news be a damper for him. We see a bird's-eye view of an open space with clothes hanging line and some junk lying there. A person runs across and as we get a closer look we realize it's Mark hopping rooftops. Two men one sporting a bandana and one with curly hair stab a guy to death. A young punk wearing a red scarf watches that from the side. Mark is just a few seconds late. These guys are not ready to give up Harrow's location. Bandana man flips his knife in the air showing off his knife skills and sharpens it scuffing on the tile floor. Mark asks if they're fighting or dancing. As Mark fights with the two men, the young punk attacks Mark from behind and makes a cut on his back. Mark reacts annoyed. The young punk further strikes him to stab, but Mark grabs his arm and twists it. The young punk winces in pain. Mark is about to punch him, but he pulls his punch and slaps the young punk instead. This shows that Mark would never punch a kid. He is not as bad as Steven has made him out to be. 
Mark continues his fight with the two men and the young punk throws a knife at him to kill him. He misses the target. The knife skills guy tries to show off again and gets punched by Mark repeatedly. The curly-haired man comes to knife skills man's rescue and corners Mark. Mark fights him off. The young punk removes a switchblade to kill Mark, but Mark punches him down. The curly-haired man comes at Mark with a big knife, but Mark manages to snatch the knife away from him. He's about to do some serious harm with the knife, but just at that moment, Steven stops Mark, speaking through the reflection in the knife. Mark blacks out. When he wakes up, we see the close-up of his eyes in the rearview mirror of a taxi. Mark reacts confused. Mark demands the taxi driver to stop and questions where he's taking him. The taxi driver says airport. Mark spots the curly-haired man and the young punk from the taxi's window. He asks the taxi driver to stop. Mark gets down from the taxi and confronts the young punk and the curly-haired man. The young punk says, just let us go, man. They appear scared. I wonder what Steven must have told them that they are so scared. Mark insists on speaking to them, but they run away. Mark chases after them in the Cairo market without paying the taxi fare. The taxi driver runs behind Mark but stops in his tracks as he realizes he cannot abandon his taxi. The curly-haired man and the young punk run into an alley where there are a lot of rugs and carpets rolled and kept vertically with the wall support. The curly-haired guy drops one of the carpets to stop Mark. That is the moment when we see the camera guy in frame. I'm sure it was a genuine mistake and Marvel is going to fix it. The curly-haired man bumps into a local. This gives Mark an advantage and he's able to catch the curly hair guy. They get in a scuffle. Mark pins him to a wall next to a reflective surface and punches him repeatedly. He questions him about Arthur's whereabouts. Steven appears in the reflective surface to distract Mark again. The knife skills man hits Mark on the head from behind and the curly hair man punches Mark unconscious. Mark falls to the ground. I noticed a detail here. When Mark is hit, his head is on the left side of the frame. And when he falls, his head lands on the ground in the right side of the frame. This is a sudden axis jump. Maybe they did this to make it appear seamless when they transition to the next shot. Mark blacks out again. When he wakes up, he's over a cliff with a knife in his hand and has just stabbed the curly hair man. The knife skills man is already lying on the ground dead. Mark questions Stephen, what did you do? Mark replies, I swear it wasn't me. The young punk winces in pain as he tries to run away. Mark throws the knife and walks toward the young punk menacingly. He asks him about the tomb. Concho asks Mark to take the young punk over the ledge to scare him and extract information. Mark is not comfortable doing that as he thinks the young punk is just a kid. Concho assures the young punk will talk. Mark holds the young punk by the collar of his jacket and drags him to the ledge. He dangles him over the ledge, holding his red scarf and questions him about Arthur's whereabouts. This scene is a reference to the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. The young punk says, praise Ahmet. He removes a knife from behind, cuts off the hold and falls to his death. Mark is horrified. Concho says he thought the kid would talk. Mark blames Steven. Mark says, what's wrong with you, Steven? Steven says, me? You are the one going on a killing spree. Mark says, I didn't do any of this. Steven says, me neither. Listen, you got a problem with the body count? I suggest you stop listening to the stupid pigeon. Mark and Konshu discuss what to do about Arthur Harrow and if the gods would stand by and allow Arthur to unleash Amit. Why didn't they do this before? Were they waiting for Arthur to steal this carob? Konshu says, to signal an audience with the gods is to risk their wrath. 
Mark says, why? What's the worst that could happen? Konshu says, anger them enough and they'll imprison me in stone. Well, there's a high probability of this happening. Mark says, that doesn't sound so bad to me. Konshu says, see how you fare against Harrow without the protection of my healing armor. Mark says, alright, so what? You have any good ideas? Konshu says, I have a bad one. Konshu vanishes into thin air and just then the winds begin to change. Mark sees Konshu make an eclipse happen. In broad daylight, Mark says, What are you doing? Konshu says, Sending gods a signal they can't ignore. We see various parts of Cairo gradually being covered in darkness, from the cityscape to the citadel of Saladin, from the Sphinx to the Pyramid of Giza, and to Arthur's dig site. Arthur says, you're getting desperate, old bird. Arthur wants his crew to keep digging no matter what. He's about to be called upon. Mark thinks it's all a bit over the top. Konshu wants Mark to hurry because the other gods must be gathering their avatars by now. Mark says, aren't they scattered all over the world? Konshu explains that for the meeting with the Inead, a portal presents itself anywhere. As Mark turns to look to the other side, the camera focuses on Mark, making it a profile shot. Mark says, okay, so where's mine? When Mark turns back to look at Konshu, the camera pans back and reveals a portal right behind him. Konshu says, the last time he spoke to the gods, they banished him. Konshu never reveals the full context of his story. Konshu says, our case against Harrow must be indisputable. Mark says, aren't you coming with? Konshu walks in the opposite direction and says, I'll be there. Mark enters the portal. As he walks in, we see Stephen's reflection and he is mighty excited to be inside the Great Pyramid of Giza. We see the same shot from the featurette where all gods convene. The other gods' avatars appear one by one. Mark meets Hathor's avatar, Yatsil. Hathor is the goddess of music and love. She reveals Konshu and her were old friends. He used to enjoy her melodies and Konshu must have spoken about her to Mark. Mark reveals that gods aren't Konshu's favorite topic and the only sound Konshu enjoys is the sound of pain. One of the gods, Selim, calls out Yatsil as if she's committing a crime by interacting with Mark. I found out that name from the subtitles. There are some empty seats at this Inuit meeting, three by my count. Yatsil checks if Mark knows how all this works. Mark denies. Yatsil advises not to fight it. It's a strange sensation and he'll get used to it. In attendance, Horus, Isis, Tefnut, Isiris, Hathor, there are only five out of nine. So Konshu was banished for exposing the gods. And they despise his garishness, showy masks and weapons. If he manipulates the sky again, they'll imprison him in stone. Konshu accuses the Inuit for abandoning humanity, unlike him, which was the only reason for his banishment. One of the gods, Selim, blames the humans for abandoning the gods. Way to shift the blame, Wowza. They simply trust their avatars to carry out their purpose without calling undue attention to themselves. Konshu argues that the avatars are not enough, they need the might of the gods. The gods need to return from the opulence of the Overvoid before they lose their realm. Overvoid is MCU's version of Celestial Heliopolis. The gods' counter-argument is that avatars are simply meant to observe. They decided long ago that they didn't wish to meddle in the affairs of the man. Great excuse. A tear rolls down Mark's eye. The gods say that they'll decide the best course of their action once Mark presents his purpose. Without further ado, Konshu calls for judgment against Arthur Harrow over the charges of conspiracy to release Ahmet. Arthur is summoned. 
He walks in through the portal. Arthur mocks Mark and taunts him saying that the purpose of the meeting must be nefarious, that he's being called upon. Konshu questions Arthur if he seeks to release Ahmed from her tomb. Arthur tries to derail the proceedings by saying he was just visiting the desert. He blames Konshu and calls his vision obscured by jealousy and paranoia. When Arthur says do not trust the word of a shamed god, he's clearly trying to manipulate the Aeneid. Arthur says Konshu is unhinged and his servant unwell. This is a low blow. Arthur is discrediting the accuser so that his case won't have any merit. Forget resurrecting Ahmet. This is his biggest crime because he uses Mark's disassociative identity disorder to put him down and win his case. When he says the man is clearly insane, that's the final nail in the coffin. Mark is about to punch him, but one of the gods Selim twists his arm using electric force. He says they will not tolerate any kind of violence in the chamber. Oh, and the havoc Amit would wreak upon the earth? That is okay. Arthur says Konshu is abusing Mark the same way he abused him and is also aspiring to abuse the court. The court wants to hear from Mark Spector. Mark admits that he is unwell and he needs help. Hathor urges Mark to speak freely if he feels abused by Konshu as this is a safe space. But Mark says it's not about my feelings. I'm not the one on trial here. That's the exact thing I said. He is not on trial. This is about how dangerous Arthur is and the gods need to listen to them for a second. The gods release Arthur saying that he's committed no offense. No offense? No offense? He killed an old lady in the Alps. He even killed the guy who gave him the scarab. No offense, my foot. The matter is concluded. What ridiculousness is this? Yatsil feels terrible for Mark and suggests there's another way. Amit was buried in secret, and the location was hidden even from the gods. One Magi named Senfu was tasked with recording the location of the tomb, in case gods changed their mind and decided to show mercy. Find Senfu's sarcophagus, and you'll find the tomb. His sarcophagus was sold on the black market. Cue in Layla. Mark is in a similar-looking market from before, and he asks a juice vendor, about the sarcophagus. Leila appears out of nowhere and says he's not Egyptian even though he's in the right place and asking the right guy. Mark is clearly worried about Leila and we know that's because of Konshu. Leila asks Mark to come along and promises to help him locate the sarcophagus. We see the Cairo cityscape dazzling in nightlight. Mark and Leila take a boat ride. Mark asks Leila, what is the plan? Leila is sporting a moon crescent neck piece. Mark doesn't like the taste of his own medicine. Leila says, it's not pleasant being left in the dark, is it? He abandoned Leila for months without a word, and now he can't handle a few minutes of suspense? When he says, I get that you're not happy about me leaving so quickly and coming to Cairo. That's such a sorry excuse of an apology, Mark, if I ever heard one. I think Stephen is the part of Mark that contains all the love for Leila. Of course, Mark doesn't want to talk about their problems and focus on the strategy before getting to Mogart. Classic. Leila is not doing this to help Mark, but for the greater good of humanity and stop Harrow and Amit. Mark apologizes them. You can see that the apology is genuine. Leila nods, but you can see it in her eyes that she's hurting. Girl, don't do this to yourself. Move on, you deserve better. Leila tells Mark that he could have shared what he was feeling all this while and about Stephen. Mark reveals that he had it under control until very recently. Leila pushes him to open up. But Mark is reluctant. Leila holds Mark's hand and assures him they could have handled it together. Mark and Leila hold each other's hand. Mark reveals he's not the sharing kinds. It's such a beautiful and heartbreaking moment between the two. Mark is too scared to let himself feel anything. So he retracts his hand saying, it's too late now. That's cold, Mark. Why are you doing this to her? 
What did she do to you? Leila is on the verge of tearing up. So she takes a band and ties her hair up to contain herself. She's clearly hurting. Once they dock, they realize that Arthur's men are keeping a tab on them. They get their story straight. Mark is Rufino Estrada, Leila's husband, and they got back from their honeymoon in the Maldives. When Mark says that's an interesting little detail, it means it's true. They arrive at a castle backyard where a game of El Marma is being played. El Marma is the oldest fencing competition in the history of Egypt where men ride on horses and fight with stakes. Mogart's bodyguard Beck says, Anton Mogart is looking forward to meeting you, Leila, after Madripoor. So Leila might have met Sharon Carter. Mark mocks Mogart for playing a game of El Marma in his backyard. Mogart takes the responsibility of preserving history very seriously. Mogart wants to know from Mark why they are interested in Senfu's sarcophagus. Leila wants Mark to let Stephen out before he blows it. The sarcophagus is inside a pyramid-like structure. The burial practices are in line with the Sternenwachen texts. The literature is to guide the dead. No location indicated. Both Stephen and Mark argue for a bit because they behave like stubborn kids. Stephen speaks from the reflection that it's coded and the information needs to be unlocked. Stephen reluctantly agrees and asks Mark to check the cartonnage. Take the first piece and fold it over the middle piece. Match the stars with the other piece and put it all together. It should make a star shape. Mogart's bodyguard, Beck, is suspicious of Mark, so he pulls a gun at him. Mark snatches the gun away from him like it's a piece of cake. Leila stops Mark because Mogart's men are holding her at gunpoint. Mogart makes Mark kneel. Leila explains that they're trying to save lives. Mark asks Mogart to look inside the sarcophagus. Beck whispers something in Arabic to Mogart, and we see Arthur walking in. Arthur offers the scarab in exchange for the sarcophagus. Why settle for the clue when you can have the treasure? Arthur, you sneaky little monster. Arthur talks about Leila's father's murder. He accuses Leila for distancing herself from the incident. Mark is not telling her the truth because she'll see him as he sees himself, unworthy of love. Arthur shows Mogart his glowing croc cane. The lights start to flicker. Concho commands Mark to summon the suit. Mark is reluctant. Arthur chants in Coptic, displays the cane power and destroys the sarcophagus. Arthur leaves. Instead of rushing after Arthur for destroying history, Mogart's men are concerned about Mark's disappearance. The camera tracks into Mark in his Moon Knight suit atop one of the pyramid structures. Beck takes Mogart away from the scene. Moon Knight uses his Moon Crescent weapons to kill the men holding a gun at Layla. Layla retrieves the cartonnage from Senfu's sarcophagus. Layla turns to leave but finds Beck blocking her way. Layla uses the broken shards of glass as a weapon to fight Beck. She uses anything that she can lay her hands on as a weapon to fight off Beck. Moon Knight is fighting Mogart's men, sweeping their legs and throwing his crescent moon weapons at them. One of Mogart's men holds his cape and makes it difficult for him to move. No capes! Edna Mode from The Incredibles was right. Stephen can't take it anymore. He says, stop it, Mark. Stop it. No, Mark. Moon Knight is breaking people's bones one after the other. He stomps at one guy, breaks the arm of the other, the leg of another, and punches one senseless who's trying to shoot him. He's about to strangle him when Stephen asks Mark to give him the body. The transformation happens and we see Mr. Knight in the suit. He apologizes and the man falls to the ground. He urges everyone to calm down and chill the F out. Mogart's men impale Mr. Knight with stakes one after the other. Stephen begs Mark to take the body back. Mark takes over and uses the stabbed stakes to stab others attacking him. Mogart's men stab him in his leg. One of them crucifies Moon Knight in the palm. And all of them manage to pin Moon Knight down. Layla is quite fierce in the way she fights. She manages to hold Beck off on her own.
But Beck overpowers her, picks her up and thrashes her to the ground. Beck removes a knife. Layla pulls her crescent moon neck piece, disarms Beck, jumps onto him and stabs him like Drax stabbed Cull Obsidian in Avengers Endgame. Layla picks up the gun and runs toward Mark. She shoots a guy on the horse with a stake. Mogat arrives on the scene with his horse and slams Layla down. Mark notices this. Mogat picks up a stake, ready to impale Layla. Mark uses all his might to fight off Mogat's men pinning him down. From one end, Mogat rides his horse toward Layla to stab her. From the other end, Mark rushes to Layla's aid. Moon Knight grabs Layla and tumbles over to save her. Moon Knight throws his crescent moon weapon at fleeing Mogat and injures him. Moon Knight lends a hand to Layla and helps her get up. He inquires if she has it, it being the cartonage. Layla and Mark are now in a jeep headed out. Layla is driving and Mark is in the passenger seat. Mark frets over his ruined favorite jacket and changes into a hoodie. Layla questions Mark about what Arthur was implying back at the castle. Mark suggests ignoring it as he was just trying to get in her head. Mark dismisses all theories and says, don't let him divide us. Not so fast, Mark. I'm sure it has something to do with Layla's father's murder. Mark knows some information that he's keeping from Layla, which will further cause a rift in their relationship. Layla says, Every time I learn something new about you, I think that's it. There can't possibly be any more secrets left between us. And then something else pops up and it's like, I haven't known you at all. Mark says it with a straight face. Yeah, you haven't. You don't. Layla is all teary-eyed. Ouch, Mark. That was stone cold. Arthur's men spot Layla and Mark's jeep moving ahead. They inform Arthur over the walkie-talkie. It's half moon. The jeep stops in the middle of the road. Mark and Layla try to patch the piece of the cartonage together. Mark is unable to find a constellation on the cartonage. He slams it at the jeep's bonnet. Layla reminds Mark that they need Steven because he understands it and it's worth giving him a shot. Concho makes fun of Steven calling him a worm and saying that he won't return the body. Mark breaks the jeep's side mirror, takes the cartonage and hands over the control to Steven. Steven thanks him and gets to work. Steven reveals Egyptians invented modern navigation. There are not a lot of landmarks in the desert, so they came up with a way to get about using the sun and the stars. Et voila, it's French. Layla tries to figure out how to use it. Steven finds the constellation and Layla gets the idea to scan it and use it as coordinates. Steven explains it's not that simple. Senfu marked the tomb 2000 years ago and stars drift over time. Concha remembers that night and every other night since. There's a hint of sadness in his voice as he says that. Layla and Steven walk up the dune. Steven calls out Konshu. Konshu says he can turn back the night sky, but it'll come at a cost and he can't do it alone. The wind starts to blow. Konshu makes a request to Steven. When the gods imprison me, tell Mark to free me. Will he free Konshu? Well, 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 how the turntables. Steven takes deep breaths and his clothes transform into Mr. Knight's costume. Concho asks Steven to follow his lead as he begins to turn back the night sky. The whole of Cairo watches the spectacle including Arthur Harrow. It's surprisingly painful for Steven. Layla manages to scan the constellation to find the coordinates. Arthur says, You bought this upon yourself, Concho. The five of the nine Aeneids perform a ritual to imprison Concho in stone. Steven and Concho hold it for as long as Layla confirms the coordinates. 29 degrees north, 25 east. Concho starts to decimate and the Ushapti forms in stone. Stephen faints. Layla tries to wake Stephen and Mark, but tough luck. Selim tells Arthur that he was right about Konshu and in the end, he left them no choice. Now he's tethered to this place like many before him. Arthur asks if Konshu can hear them and Selim says, yes, I think so. Selim leaves. 
How on earth has Arthur managed to get one of the Inuits on his side? Arthur walks up to the Ushapti and spills his deepest, darkest secret. I enjoy dealing out pain on your behalf. That's the greatest sin I carry. What about the people you drained the life force of? Arthur says, I am grateful. Had you not broken me completely, I might never have known the value of healing. No, dude! You don't have to be broken to know the value of healing. That's ridiculous and insane. Insaneulous. Arthur picks up the Ushapti and tells Konshu, I'm going to do what you could not, and when it's finished, I want you to remember one thing. Your torment forged me. I owe my victory to you. Arthur is teary-eyed here. I can't figure whether Arthur is thanking Konshu or accusing him. At this point in the show, I'm not thrilled to see how they would stop Amit or how Konshu would be freed or how Mark became Moon Knight in the first place. I'm so disappointed. Usually by the third episode of any MCU show, it's most exciting because the conflict is at its peak. Here, I'm not so sure. I feel terrible for Layla because she's being pushed away. I like that Mark and Steven are trying to accept each other and find a middle ground to work together. The story feels too fragmented at this point and the stars are literally not aligning. Unlike at the end of this episode, it's too easy for Arthur to just navigate around and offer deals in exchange for the scarab. I saw a few cool tricks Moon Knight can do with his suit, but now that he won't even have the healing armor of Konshu, what's the point? I should be worried about the world on the verge of destruction, but I'm not. My expectations are so low from the rest of the series. The show started off with a lot of potential. I get that it needed to throw in some relevant information through the scenes to take the story forward, but now it feels like it's not engaging enough. Even the scene with the gods inside the Pyramid of Giza was not as I expected it to be. I get that the gods don't like garishness, but apart from the giant statues in the background, I didn't feel these gods were some powerful entities. Concho being imprisoned in stone didn't hit me at all. I don't care about him because he's a selfish god. I don't know what will happen in the coming episodes and maybe... This was the only way to tell the story. I am glad that the show deals with sensitive subject like disassociative identity disorder, but that's it. Steven has been ridiculed for being himself by Konshu. Mark was shamed by Arthur for his illness. Both are villains. The only person I care for is Layla. I'm rooting for her to save the day. The show's title is Moon Knight, but I'm not rooting for Mark or Steven at the end of this episode. The end credit sequence begins. This episode is dedicated to the French actor Gaspard Ulliel. He played the character of Anton Mogart slash Midnight Man. He recently passed away in an accident. After the end credits finish, the slate reads... For more information on mental health resources near you, please visit the National Alliance on Mental Health at nami.org. You can listen to the awesome pod mix and subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. If you like what I'm doing, I'll be launching the awesome pod mix page on Patreon soon and you can support me there. Thanks for listening.